is Camilla, and you're listening to the Cat's Whisker, a time machine for all those who love rock and roll and want to know everything about it. People, stories, and the music that changed the world. In a few words, it doesn't matter whether you've lived through those years or, just like me, you've always wondered what it was like. I have loads of stories to tell and great music to play. So, let's roll! Hey everyone, I hope you're okay. I'm Camilla and I'm really excited about this week's topic. When we think of rock and roll, probably the first images that come to our mind are cutting-edge live performances, bands and tormented artists. Well, that's a way to see it, but the truth is that many of the beloved rock and roll records that teenagers in the 50s and 60s used to listen to featured session musicians that were old enough to be their parents. So, in many cases, the hymns of the rebellious youth were actually recorded by adults supporting their families. <laughs> and I don't want to spoil the rock and roll imagery for you by saying this. Absolutely not. I actually want to celebrate all those professionals that worked at the songs that we all love and made them what they are without ever being recognized on the street. And I wouldn't be able to do that without mentioning probably one of the most prolific bass players to ever exist. The person I'd like to talk about today is Carol Kay. Most known as a bassist, she collected between bass and guitar over 10,000 recordings, both on records and TV shows. But the amount of hours she spent in the recording studio is just one of the reasons why she's so great. Not only she played impeccably, but she's also been the mind behind many licks that became a legendary. She was born Carol Smith on the 24th of March 1935 in Everett, Washington, but moved to Wilmington, California when she was seven. Her father used to play trombone in a big band and Carol was definitely drawn towards music from a very young age. But it wasn't until she was 13 that she started playing an instrument. One day a salesman showed up at her door selling instruments. That's when her mom buys her her first ever steel guitar for $10 and since a friend was taking guitar lessons, Carol decided to tag along and in less than a year the teacher told her, you can work for me. And that's when this 14 year old girl started teaching guitar and playing gigs. She took up performing mainly because her mom was raising her on her own and Carol wanted to help her. And sure enough that's what she did. The music of the moment was jazz and thanks to it, Kay managed to acquire dexterity and developed great improvisation skills on the guitar. Kay gigged a lot during the 50s in black nightclubs, especially in the jazz and bebop circuit, backing various performers such as Teddy Edwards, Billy Higgins and stand-up comedian Lenny Bruce. She knew though that performing and touring wasn't really for her, especially since she wanted to be home with her kids. And since she had to support her family, while she was performing at night, she also needed a day job. But one night in 1957, after her performance, producer Robert Blackwell approaches her to invite her to a recording session he was working on. Kay was very torn at the beginning. Becoming a session musician would have damaged her reputation in the jazz circuit, but she was also in desperate need for money, so she decided to give it a shot. What convinced her was also the artist she was going to play for, the great Sam Cooke. And that's how Carol Kay records the guitar part on her first song as a session guitarist, Cook's arrangement of Summertime. She would then play guitar again for his hit, What a Wonderful World. Not long after, she played rhythm guitar on two classics of Richie Valens' short but legendary career, Donna 
and La Bamba. That's when she decided to leave her day job because she realized that recording one song as a session musician was more profitable than an entire week in her 9 to 5 job. Then, in 1963, something really interesting happens. During a session, the bass player didn't show up and someone literally put a bass on Kay's lap and said, play this. She loved it straight away and made it her primary instrument. As a session musician, she continued to play guitar, obviously, but bass became her first choice. And not only because bass is an amazing instrument, but she liked it because it was practical. When she was playing guitar, she had to carry around several versions of the same instrument, acoustic, electric, six strings, 12 strings, banjo, mandolin, etc. But with bass, she could just show up with one instrument and that was it. And with that bass, she carried the songs she played in, adding notes here and there, creating innovative bass lines. She stated many times that she thought bass was the foundation of rock and roll and really of most of modern music. And she also researched a lot outside of the rock and roll or pop world. Some of her techniques and beats she would come up with actually came from the massive influence Latin music had on her. Carol Kay was something new on the music scene, especially because it was rare to have women in the rhythm section. There were women in jazz, but bebop and rock and roll were mostly a man's world. But back then, she didn't think it was odd. She was just a musician and music has no gender. Carol Kay didn't think of herself as a woman who played guitar or a woman who played bass. She was a guitarist and a bass player, full stop. Luckily, she said that in 98% of the cases, men always respected her talent and her professionalism. And whenever she received a, well, you play good for a girl, she would return the same compliment, well, you play good for a guy, so that they could hear how stupid it sounded. She was always very cocky though, a true professional that knows her worth and how important it is to work together in a studio, trying to get a hit for everybody, even when you don't like the song. And take after take, when the session musicians finally got the one, the one that would give goosebumps to everyone in the room, they knew it. She said in many interviews that while she was playing, she was mainly thinking about her family and how to support them. And that's how she became such a prolific musician. In one day, she was able to fit something like three or four sessions. And keep in mind that usually your record day to last three hours, and depending on the artist, you could use three hours all for one song or even record five songs at the time on the same date. But let's get to what you've all probably been wondering ever since I started babbling about her. What songs did she play on? Well, I'll tell you some songs and some artists that she worked with. Unfortunately, in the 60s, credits in the session musicians was in common practice, so she must have worked on even more recordings than the ones that are listed. Since she never abandoned her guitar completely, Kay still played the 6 or 12 strings guitar mostly on various hits, such as You've Lost That Loving Feeling by The Righteous Brothers, the Eiley Brothers version of Do You Love Me? And several songs with Richie Valens, Ray Charles, Quincy Jones, Frank Zappa and many more that I'll tell you about later in the episode. Her bass repertoire is massive though. But to give you just a few names, you can hear her bass lines on other songs by Nancy Sinatra, such as Sugar Town and the You Only Live Twice theme. But Kay also recorded with Frank Sinatra on songs that he did with his daughter, like Something Stupid. She was also the bass player on several Monkey songs, such as I'm a Believer and Last Train to Clarksville. 
and she played on the Simon and Garfunkel album Parsley, Sage, Rosemary and Thyme, where she played in Homeward Bound and Scarborough Fair, and she also played for them again for I Am A Rock. You can find her on Light My Fire by Doors and in River Deep Mountain High by Tina and Ike Turner. Between the artists she worked with as a bass player, there's Stevie Wonder, Billy Joel, Bobby V, The Animals, Harry Nilsson, Buffalo Springfield, Dean Martin, The Hollies, Howlin' Wolf, The Platters, and even possibly Elvis Presley. She recorded many songs for Motown artists like I Can Hell Myself and Bernadette for the Four Tops, a lot of hits for the Supremes like Love Child, Baby Love, You Can't Hurry Love, and she even worked with Marvin Gaye. Some of her biggest collaborations though are probably all the songs she recorded with the Beach Boys, Phil Spector and Sonny and Cher. Even though she played the rhythm guitar on Surfing USA, her biggest contribution to the Beach Boys music was on bass, especially all the Pet Sounds album. Paul McCartney said that his bass playing on Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Arts Club Band was highly influenced by Case playing on the Beach Boys album. Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys really respected her and appreciated her work, so much so that he always wanted to keep her bass high in the mix and said several times that he thought she was the best bass player in the world. She loved working with them, especially with Brian Wilson, who used to write all the parts for her as well. What she remembers about their sessions together was that Wilson was a perfectionist. If on a three hours recording date many people would have recorded an entire album, he wanted to focus on just one song. Carol Kay appears on Help Me Rhonda, Sloop John B, I Get Around, Wouldn't It Be Nice, where she is on a Dan Electro, not a Fender bass as usual, California Girls, God Only Knows, The Whole Pet Sounds LP, Heroes and Villains, Caroline No, Serves Up, Child is the Father of the Man, Do You Like Worms, The Whole Smile LP, Cabin Essence, The Fire Sessions, I Was Made to Love Her and Let Him Run Wild. But my favorite contribution has to be the 1966 single, Good Vibrations. Similar to Brian Wilson was Phil Spector, who in the studio always dedicated a very long time to his productions, asking to do many, many takes of the same tune. Kay was part of his wrecking crew of session musicians. But she was very requested after all, and that's how she ended up playing on many records produced by Spector. Between them, she worked with artists such as the Ronettes and Sonny and Cher, where Kay played both guitar and bass. And she's been a very precious helping hand for Sonny and Cher in particular. Not only she played guitar in many songs like I Got You Babe, but Kay is the person that came up with the beat for The Beat Goes On. The song had a very simple bass line at the beginning, but it became something completely different when Kay replaced it with a syncopated bass line that is still iconic to this day. Her style of playing instantly became what made her the number one choice for basically all the studios in LA. So let's break it down together. Let's start with the gear. Carol Kay, first of all, is one of the first musicians to ever play electric bass with a pick. And that's an essential part of a signature clicky sound. She found that she could get the best sound with a very hard pick over medium gauge flat wound strings, usually with a high action. And to get the most of that clicky effect, she would always add more treble. The Fender Precision Bass was her go-to instrument for the 60s, paired up with the Fender Concertone Super Reverb 4-10 to inch speakers amp for the first part of the 60s, and then she switched to an enclosed cabinet double-amped versatone amp. The choice of the amp was always very important since in all of her recordings the amp was always mic'd up, 
very, very closely. Her bass playing was always precise, so much so that recordings didn't need to be manipulated, and what we can hear on the songs is exactly what the musicians heard in the studio, except for some of the Motown records that needed a different Detroit sound. Her style was so popular that later on people would ask bass player to play like Carol Kay, and she's always been very open about her technique. That's what she suggests on her website. We must play with the beat. Downstrokes on the downbeats and upstrokes with the upbeats. With a flat wrist, the bottom of your thumb muscle always touching the bottom string. And no, not for muting, but for a home bass, strong solid feel. This is where your fine deep bass sound comes from, as well as picking close to the end of the neck, never next to the bridges. And I always use a double up piece of felt muting on top of the strings just over the bridges to dampen the over and undertones for a cleaner recorded sound too. Good for live work also. If you play with fingers and maybe sometimes with a pick, I'd advise to use only the foam underneath the strings, barely touching the strings for this source of muting of a needed extra tones. Strings still ring if the muting is done correctly. I mean, I really, really appreciate that she shares her knowledge because many musicians would gatekeep, but she certainly doesn't. By the end of the 60s though, she stopped working in the studio. She just didn't like the music anymore. It wasn't fun. In her interviews, she states that around 68, 69, some of the rock groups started sounding like cheap cardboard music. And so she decided she couldn't do it anymore. She didn't abandon music, obviously. Kay decided to continue working in the music industry, but in a very specific niche, in orchestras for TV series and film scores. She had already started in the 60s, but her work expanded through the following decades. You might have heard her playing in different TV shows themes, such as the 60s version of Mission Impossible, the first Bill Cosby show, Kojak, MASH, The Addams Family, Batman, Wonder Woman, ER, CSI, King of the Hill, Love Boat, Friends, Room 222, The Brady Bunch, Peyton Place, The Streets of San Francisco, and many others. And you probably had your fair share of Carol Kay's bass, even on film soundtracks, with The Godfather theme, several Planet of the Apes films, Forrest Gump, Ghost, Goodfellas, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, Kill Bill, Meet the Parents, Top Gun, Vanilla Sky, and again, many others. And even after she quit, she was still the number one choice. <laughs> uh, she would go back from time to time to work as a session musician for famous artists. But what really made her happy and still makes her happy is teaching, a job that she started in 1949 and still does to this day. Little by little, she went back to jazz, her roots, the music that started it all and that she has always loved. So in her late years, she dedicated her life to writing books about music, teaching new guitarists and performing from time to time in jazz clubs. And if you are a bass player, I really suggest her website carolk.com where she gives very useful playing tips. There are also many books available on her electric bass techniques, also written by her and many books about her story, of course, including an autobiography. And if you'd like to take lessons, she teaches on Skype for $75. But since unfortunately, at the minute, her lessons are out of stock, on her website, you can also find a list of teachers from all over the world that teach with her materials and her methods. 
Thank you for listening to this episode. Did you know about Carol Kay? She is a very, very interesting character. And it's so great that she is still working and teaching music to this day. I find it really, really inspiring. And obviously, all her music and her techniques are just proof of what a great musician she is. Remember to follow me on Instagram at the Cat's Whisker Podcast and on TikTok at the Cat's Whisker. I always post there during the week before and after the episodes. So if you like vintage inspired content, please give me a follow and I'll see you next week. Ciao!